Welcome to the Retirement Clinic with your host, Jeff Kowal from the Kowal Investment Group, the retirement specialists. Good morning and welcome. This is WISN's Retirement Clinic with the Kowal Investment Group. I'm Paul Cronforce and your hosts, plural, today, <laughs> two hosts, Marie McFarland, welcome back. Well, thank you. Not Good. welcome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Welcome back to the studio. And John White is here as well. Great to have you back in the show. Hey, good morning. Good morning to you. A lot to talk about today. Uh, you each got topics that you brought to the table. Then we're going to chime in later in the hour and do the uh, much, in, people love this segment, wealth management and preservation because it's about money. How to preserve your money. Advice from the Kowal Investment Group. for We focus on retirement, Marie. That's what you guys do. If you want to give us the elevator speech, does that sum it up pretty well? Yes, we focus on retirement planning. So if you have 750000 in assets or more or are close to retirement, um, we're the best advisors to help you with that. And to get in touch with us, you can reach out at 262-522-4040 or check out our website at thecowalway.com. And then, of course, you can always follow us on all the social media platforms. And Monday through Friday, don't forget, the Mon- Mark Belling Late Afternoon Show features you with the business reports. Yes. Uh, the so- 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. news block, and it's all yeah. of us advisors. Yeah, good mix of, of you guys. So on the weekend, we get a full hour here to talk on the retirement clinic. So I will not waste any more time so we can jump in to the topics. John, you've got something. I'll just say, let's tease this because it's coming later in the show. Yeah, I'm going to be talking about understanding family wealth dynamics. That's going to be the, the wealth preservation section. Kind of talking about uh, just some interesting things that I've discovered about it. And now I'm... You've got my curiosity. Me too. <laughs> I want to know what to. Yeah, well, wait. That's coming up later. Marie, you've got a topic about retirement accounts and which one to draw from. This is kind of what you guys do the strategy. Yes, this is a strategy. So, first, I'll kind of give you a little background. So, our team, we've had a lot of clients retire within the last couple years. And shout out to them. Congrats on your retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most, I'd say there's two common questions. The most common question is income. So every single person that's retired, it's like this weird phase where you no longer have your work paycheck coming in. And then you're like, oh, how do I get income? Because all these years I've been putting away into these accounts I've never taken out. So how does that happen? Um, so it's typically not a one size fits all all from a distribution standpoint, but I'd say the most common ways to get money out. So just to give you a little background, one could be from an IRA. So let's say you have an IRA set up an individual retirement account. You can set up distributions just like a paycheck. So they can come on a weekly, monthly, bi-weekly basis. Um, I'd say common for most people and would be monthly. And that situation you can have with tax withheld. So federal and state taxes can be withheld. So it's pretty similar to getting a paycheck. Then you get the net amount into your bank account. Um, You could have a Roth IRA where you could set up distributions the same way, except no tax withholding, assuming it's a qualified distribution. And then if you had a taxable account, so non-retirement account, same situation. You can set up monthly distributions, quarterly, whatever kind of works within your budget. Um, no tax typically withheld for those accounts, so you'd have to prepare for taxes on your own. And some options would be quarterly estimates or withholding from another source if you have another source of income. Silly question. Are these set up as direct deposits typically, just like our work checks 
Yeah, I would say 90%, John, I would say 90% of our clients have them set up like work paychecks. They go directly to their bank account. Yeah, I mean, very rarely do we have a client wanting a check in the mail. It does happen. Um, yeah. But uh, most of the time, it's just directly deposited yeah. right into their yeah, bank. Yeah, because that, you know, when you're working, you're right, Marie. It's routine. It's almost, you take it for granted. The check's yes. going to be direct. You make sure it's the right amount. You look at it. Okay, everything's fine. Yeah. And then just like that, it stops. Correct. And the hard part is like those automatic withdrawals people have set up, right? So you just need yeah. to make sure my money's in there and all of my, you know, whatever expenses you have come out automatically every month are still in line with how much comes in. So I would say like in a in a nutshell, that's, you know, where you can take distributions from um, for accounts that you have. The second most common question is how to take them. So if you had these accounts, so a Roth and an IRA and a taxable account, the question is, okay, well, where do I take money from first? Um, again, I would say this isn't a black and white situation. It really depends on what you're trying to accomplish as a client and what your objectives are for the year. And that could change. So one year you could set it up where I take from all from my IRA and the next year you could take a portion from your Roth and your taxable rate. So it's never the same. Um, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. So I found an article on Kiplinger's, it's by Evan Beach, titled, Which Retirement Accounts Should You Withdraw From First? And I felt this article did a great job generalizing how to do this. Um, and so, again, it's a generalization. I have lots of clients that don't follow this generalization for all different purposes. but One size does not fit all. Correct, right? yeah. But it's a good you know, overview. Now, the first thing is making sure you have an emergency fund. Um, again, this is situation dependent, too. I wouldn't say that every single client's going to have six months of emergency fund built up in a savings account, but for generalization, six months of expenses is ideal. The first place you would target, then, is any cash above and beyond that. So, if you had, let's say you had $100,000 in a savings account, and assuming you need $10,000 to live on, that would mean you'd need $60,000 in your emergency fund. So then $40,000 extra, that $40,000 you would use over the next four months for income. So that would be your first place to target is any excess cash above and beyond your emergency fund. And the reason being is growth in taxes. Taxes being people's favorite word lately. <laughs> but growth not, and taxes. Not mine, Marie. No, I know. <laughs> I should say favorite pain point lately. <laughs> there you go. Um, over the long period, so if you look at cash versus investments, your cash will most likely grow a lot slower than almost anything else. And so taking your cash out first would make the most sense because you're leaving your other assets to uh, grow over that same time period. And what you could expect, let's say if you were earning 4% maybe on your cash today, a little more likely than before, but let's say you're earning 4% on your cash, most of your other investments accounts could be up almost 8%. So even in this type of market, it's still not keeping up with your outside investments. Do you use that as a rule of thumb and try to keep it conservative on what to expect uh, at, for a rate of return? Yeah, we do keep it pretty conservative. It's that 4% rule we hear about, right? Yes, okay. 4% for distribution, um, and then 5% we typically use from a planning perspective on um, return of your investment. Now, the other reason to use cash first is this does help keep your taxes low. So that's a 
pretty big pain point for most clients. They always talk about, I hate paying taxes. Um, and so one opportunity is if you have excess cash above and beyond your emergency fund, that can be a great opportunity to keep your taxes low for the year. Okay, so you mentioned an IRA, right? Yes. To withdraw money from. And on the back of my mind, our listeners are probably thinking, yeah, but we're going to have Social Security checks coming every every month too, right? Yeah. So let me... The that, IRA, that's something else as yes. far as... Yep. So I would say when I go through the like places to target, the first is cash. I haven't even touched Social Security yet, so it's coming. You're giving a good... I'm, I'm jumping yeah. ahead to... Re- <laughs> and you, again, you can't get that till a certain age anyway. Correct. Well, let's say you retire early 58 59 60 yeah you wouldn't be able to start taking until 62 so um okay so first cash second would be your taxable account um and so the reason is largely due to taxes again so that pain point that everybody has is taxes but you can be pretty strategic with your taxable accounts and you could keep taxes low for the year so let's say you supplement some cash with some money outside of your taxable accounts, those are going to be favored typically at long-term capital gains rates, which are more favorable than your ordinary income tax rates. So again, you can be strategic and start taking distributions from this account to supplement the cash um, and still keep taxes low for the year. These are not tax deferred. So in your taxable accounts, right, when you get paid dividends and capital gains, you are being taxed every year for them. And so for that reason, they tend to grow slower than your tax deferred accounts. So you have to keep that in mind too. But from a distribution standpoint, usually cash and then tax deferred accounts are going to, or sorry, taxable accounts would be a next best option. Third would be social security. So this is exactly when that would come in. And again, it depends on your situation. Assuming you're 62 at least, you know, it, it, Really could be a situation where, okay, we rely heavily on the taxable account until maybe you get to full retirement age, which for most people would be 67 now. Um, And that's when you elect to take Social Security distributions. That could change based on health. That could, you know, a lot of things could change that where maybe you do take at 62. So you're backing up. 67 full retirement age, that's generally what it's considered, right? Yeah. Now I would say most people are 67. Um, Prior to that, it would be between 66 and 67. And 65 is kind of a magical number for your Medicare. Yep. Uh, So a lot of times people get confused with that. They think Social Security, your full retirement age is 65, but that's Medicare that's 65. That's right. Mm -hmm. And 62 is the earliest. Yeah, because health insurance is really expensive if you get it on your own. Yes, it is. If you do retire early and you had benefits, well, again, you take these things for granted, right? Yes. It can be... Expensive. It can also be cheap, which I know, you know, I have some clients that can keep their income under the threshold. And so they have subsidies for their health care mm-hmm. insurance. And so that's an opportunity too, where you would rely on your taxable account and your cash to keep your income low for those purposes. Um, so, yes, that's a so social security is a big um, opportunity to take income. Now, this one, if you're living off your cash and taxable account, this could be advantageous to take Social Security and keep it under the minimum for less tax, less taxable portion of the Social Security. So remember, under a certain income, under 32000 for married filing jointly, none of your Social Security would be taxed. And then if you're between thirty-two and 44000 married filing jointly, it's 50%. 
of your Social Security will be taxed. And then if you make above 44000 married, filing jointly, it's 85% of the Social Security will be taxed. And not saying 85% for tax rates, but 85% of that total would be taxable at ordinary income rates. And when I said before, one size does not fit all. I mean, think there might be a couple that you're married for all these years, right? And maybe he wants to retire and the spouse keeps working. Mm-hmm. So there's so many, I mean, every case is different. This is where your strategy comes into play yeah. big time. Every case is different. And for example, I have one client who um, she works part-time and so she keeps her income under the 44000 minimum. And so he can take social security and not worry about it being taxed. Mm-hmm. So, and they rely on cash, you know, outside to supplement what, so you can be very strategic, um, but I think the biggest thing is having options. And so making sure you're saving into all these different accounts gives you greater flexibility oh, when yeah. the time does come to retire. And then you have more options with your Social Security. Um, so Social Security would be the next bucket to target. And then fourth would be your tax-deferred accounts. So those are your individual retirement accounts, your 401ks, your 403bs, 457s. All of those distributions would be taxed at ordinary income tax rates. Um, eventually, of course, you're going to be forced to take out your required minimum distributions. I know that's a common thing we talk about quite often on the show, but at 73, if you were born between 1951 and 1959, you'll have an RMD at 73. And if born 1960 or later, 75. So whether you like it or not, it's required. You must take money out. Yes. Um, So that plays a factor in when to start taking from your IRA or your tax-deferred accounts. Would you lump pension in with all of those two, Marie? Is that something else? Typically, yes, um, because that's taxable at ordinary income rates, too. Um, And, well, it depends on when you're eligible to take it, if it's growing, if it's not. Right, so there's a lot of factors that go Mm -hmm. into that, too. But yes, I would say. Not as common as they were years ago, but pensions are still around, right? Yeah, not as common at all. In fact, right. I only know one company that still offers a yeah. pension to their new employees, which is crazy that they do. But Which is why we have to take our own personal responsibility and start saving. Yes. Yep. Um, and then finally would be your Roth accounts. So the final withdrawal bucket would be a Roth account, which is tax-free for qualified withdrawals. Um, and I'm sure, John, this may be a part of the family wealth dynamic. Maybe not, though. But essentially, Roths could be a great bucket that used as legacy planning. Um, And so most likely, if that's important to a client, that would be one of the last places you'd touch money. And for obvious reasons, right, it's tax-free withdrawals. So you want that money to participate as long as it can and continue to grow for those tax-free withdrawals. Another bucket was an HSA, so a health savings account. Oh, yeah. Those are very tax-efficient savings vehicles, um, but need to be used typically for medical qualified expenses, um, but another great vehicle to have, and usually one of the last places you'd go to and, for And correct me if I'm wrong, I have one here. I don't know much about it. I, I Every year you can elect how much you want. And I know there's limitations. Yeah, Marie. there's limitations. But it's kind of nice to have that debit card. You get a prescription, you just give them that. It comes out of that account and it carries over every year, yeah. right? So what I would tell you is if you could not use that account, it's extremely advantageous because you could rely on it in retirement and continue to let it grow tax 
deferred. So that would be wise. Why am yeah. I not doing that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's probably, I'm just thinking a couple grand, I think, last yeah. time I checked, right? Yeah, and typically those accounts, you can invest a portion. Like most of them will require you to keep two to 3000 in cash is what I've commonly mm-hmm. seen. And then anything above that, you can invest. So when you're, you're just saying pay it with it another way. Yeah, pay Pull it out my of debit card or cash, whatever pocket. I decide. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's a benefit to those health savings accounts is you can utilize them later on. You can't pay for private health care premiums. So let's say you retired before 65, you wouldn't be able to use your health okay. savings account to pay for those premiums. But for Medicare, you can use your health savings account. Well, I'm changing my strategy, Marie. Yeah. Thank you for the, <laughs> look at the advice you get in the yeah. show. That card is going to the back of the wallet so I don't see it. Yeah. Therefore, I won't use it, right? Yeah, um, I, th- those health savings accounts—they're powerful accounts. Yeah, especially if you keep maxing out. I'm assuming you have the family limit, so you can—if multiple people are on the plan—so it's a pretty substantial amount of money. It's funny because my daughter next year turns 26, so she can no longer be in our health plan. And at the end of the year, yeah, yeah. and she has been, and she's gotten it. And I said, yeah. "Listen, in October, when open enrollment comes along, she's got a great job, and they yeah. offer benefits. Do not forget to sign yeah. up for your health insurance. If you can't claim her on your taxes, she could open up an HSA, yes, yeah, as could, well, right? and she could fund it family, the family amount. I will uh, pass along yeah. as that long as advice. you can't claim her on your taxes. If you can claim her on your taxes." That's a different story. I don't think we can, but yeah. we do have a person. See, like all of this stuff. Okay, I've got a tax guy who does my taxes. How would I know all of these rules that you're talking, unless I have a financial advisor? Yes, that's. Yeah, I was just having a conversation. Just guess with, or just Google it exactly I mean, with clients this morning, and they were like, "We had no idea," and I'm like, "That's exactly why I'm here is to help you navigate all of these nuances." There's and there's so much like John can attest to, and this they too. change just, every yes. year all these tax yeah. laws and. Like with the HSAs, after 65, you can take a withdrawal from it without a penalty, but you will pay taxes on it if it's for a non-qualified medical expense. So here's the thing, though. Prior like to if 60, I buy a lawnmower with the money. Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't be the wisest use of the money, but <laughs> if you did. Now, here's the rub, though. If you were to take a distribution out at 64 and it's non-medical related, there's a 20% penalty Ouch. plus taxes. So there's all these nuances to them. Yeah. Now, now that's a penalty I would incur and I could have avoided had somebody told me yep. like John just did. And there's just so many little like pieces to each of them that you just have to remember. So yes, that's why you rely on us heavily. We stay up to date on all this. I just did probably what, 10, 12 hours of continuing education <laughs> this past week. So you know, we stay up to date on all of this and help our clients navigate you know, what's in their best interest. Well, as long as we're talking about that, the titles of, I've never, I just said your financial advisors. You are a certified financial planner, Marie. Yes. Both John and I are certified financial planners. Yes. CFP. That's mm-hmm. right. So, and I say that for a reason, be careful. There can be a, you can put up a sign on the door saying you're a financial advisor. There's a lot, there's a lot of testing that goes into the CFP yes. designation, though. Yep, and a whole other standard of conduct that we follow and continuing education, so extra continuing education that we participate in annually. So, yeah, there's a lot of extra. I don't have my normal outline in front of me. So let's go give out the website, thekowalway.com, but locations. I'll see if I get them right. Off the top of my head, Waukesha. Yes, right. our headquarters. World headquarters <laughs> in Waukesha. Up in Ozaukee County, you've got a Port Washington location. In Racine, Phoenix, Arizona. Yes. In Heartland. And I understand soon to be Delafield. Yes, Delafield will be 
September, October of this year. Oh, okay. So this fall, yeah. we'll have a big announcement as to when that location opens up. Just great location for Lake Country clients, I would imagine. Yes, it's a great location. It's on Milwaukee Street um, across from a coffee shop and a little park, I think, is next to it. I'm pretty excited. I'll be there. How about the, about the coffee shop? Yeah. That'll keep you going throughout the day. Uh, yeah, beautiful place, too. Delafield is gorgeous. So when we come back, we'll take a quick break. Does that sum up everything, Maria? Did you want to add a PS to that? No, I would say that sums up everything, but the PS, which I've repeated probably four times, is it's unique per situation. So this distribution strategy might not be the best for you if you're trying to accomplish something different. Yeah. You know, so it's not black and white. It's definitely rely on us advisors to help you navigate what's in your best interest. John White, did you want to add anything to that discussion? No, I I just think working with a financial advisor to to help you navigate all this is really important. Um, and uh, yeah, like Marie said, it's there's a lot of nuances, and um, having the right risk profile for each strategy as well. There, there's so much that goes into it. It's like like layers of an onion is the best way I can think about it. There's so many things to consider. Peel it and back. Then look back, and you got the whole onion. Yeah. Do you ever get to the core of the onion for planning? <laughs> That's a good question, right? Because I don't think you ever the, get to the core because it changes. Well, yeah. I, I guess the core is to, to help people. Yeah, that's true. I was going to say the core is your retirement date, right? That's the date we've been looking forward to, but not really. Cause that's but then a, it adds more layers that's because right. every year uh, you have so it's a And it's you don't a, stop planning yeah. in retirement. No. Help no. people without crying. <laughs> I can't do onions without my eyes. Just Me neither. It's yeah. brutal. I step away, wash my hands, go back to it. Or just have my wife finish oh, it. And I, she says the same thing. Now my eyes are. The food hack for that, by the way, to stop the crying is you put the onion in the freezer for 10 minutes, then cut it. What? Yeah. Are you I serious? It works. Are you a good huh. cook? Eh. I make a good beef Wellington. Oh, that's good. That's okay. I I take I trust your advice then. <laughs> I will put it in the freezer for ten minutes and then cut it, and it's not too frozen that you can still cut right. it. Right, but you don't get and all you don't get the eye water thing. Oh man, the stuff you hear in the retirement clinic. <laughs> Amazing. A uh, great job, Marie. A lot coming up yet. The wealth management and preservation uh, segment. John White's got some things to get to. Aaron Kowal with the boss segment right after this break. That's business owners savings and security. So if you're a business owner of any size, right, the smaller mom and pop or larger corporations, stay tuned. That's a quick segment and then we'll get right back to it. If you do have any questions at all about you and your retirement, reach out to the Kowal Investment Group, 262-522-4040. That's 262-522-4040. Or the website, thekowalway.com. Saturdays at 10 o'clock. This is the Retirement Clinic. John White and Marie McFarlane are hosting the show today. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Retirement Clinic on WISN. I'm Aaron Kowal with the Boss Minute, business owner's savings and security. It's about owning your retirement, not just your business. If you are a small business owner who has not created a retirement plan yet, now is the time. Under the Secure 2.0 Act, small businesses have new incentives to help their employees plan for retirement. A bigger tax credit for businesses with 1 to 50 employees, Secure 2.0 increases the percentage of coverage up to 100% of qualified startup costs. Businesses with 51 to 100 employees are still eligible to receive up to 50% of planned startup costs. 
Next, employer contribution tax advantages. This new tax credit is available for five years to businesses with up to 100 employees who make employer contributions to a new defined contribution plan. Next, no employer match required. Employers can now offer a starter 401k plan that allows them to take advantage of the applicable administrative tax credits, even though they aren't making contributions on their employees' behalf. And last, new Roth IRA options. The Secure 2.0 Act allows business owners to offer a Roth version within SEP IRAs and simple IRAs. These are often used by small businesses because they have less admin responsibilities than a 401k. These are just a few of the incentives offered to small businesses under the Secure 2.0 Act. It is important to work with a professional to get a full picture of the incentives offered and which options are best suited for your business. If you need help creating a retirement plan for your business, give our office a call at 262-522-4040 or visit thecowalway.com. Retirement Clinic and good morning. Thanks for joining us. If you tuned in late, Marie McFarlane and John White are hosting the show. You hear... Marie and John and a multitude of other uh, financial advisors from the Kowal Investment Group, Monday through Friday, for the business reports during the Mark Belling Show. But we get unleashed on the weekends, right? They let the uh, they let you guys go and talk about whatever you want for a full hour every Saturday. Marie covered taking distributions from various retirement funds and... That can get kind of deep in the weeds, and that's what financial advisors do. That's what you do every day. John, you've got a great segment here as well, so fill us in. Yeah. um, Let's start with the number 4.7. 4.7 years, actually. If you go all the way back to 1971, that's on average how often uh, you get a swing in valuations between U.S. stocks and international stocks. In other words, every 4.7 years, international stocks will outperform U.S. stocks. Every 4.7 years, U.S. will outperform international stocks. And the pendulum goes back and forth. Until recently, since about 2007, uh, U.S. stocks have outperformed international stocks for close to 15 years. So that's really unusual. Are we still in that trend We're, today? Actually, the trend has, the pendulum has swung finally. Um, now, is it a trend enough to say that it has fully swung? It's too early to call that, but it's certainly looking like that that's the case. Hmm. Um, so it's interesting because, you know, with our portfolios, we've definitely allocated a little bit more to international in light of, um, not that news, but news that was coming down from last year, um, where basically the U.S. dollar is very strong against foreign currencies. And so what happens is if there's a trend developing, you would suggest, okay, if the U.S. dollar is strong against foreign currencies, then the only place the U.S. dollar can go then is back down. So if the U.S. dollar loses value, that means that your foreign earnings will earn more U.S. dollars because the foreign currency is strengthening. That's right. So that's one of the reasons why international is actually doing very well this year because we're getting a swing back to the downside on the U.S. dollar. Uh, but I find this whole thing really interesting is, you know, because a lot of people have had what we call a recency bias with U.S. stocks. And what that means is people look at the recent past and extrapolate into the future that that's the way it's always going to be. So because a certain stock performed well recently, you've got it in your mind, this is a good one to right. stick with. Or some people chase stocks too, right, John? Oh, absolutely. And they typically chase them when they're high. 
which means the higher expected return is diminished, but people don't see that. They just see the, the uptick that it's had and they want it. It's like, thanks for jumping on the bandwagon, but it might be too late. Correct. And so people are doing this with international stocks. Um, basically, the recency bias suggests, hey, the US has done very well for the last 15 years. It should continue to do well. So I'm going to not allocate more to international stocks. I'm just going to stick with what I have. But studies have shown, and this is kind of the article I'm referring to. This is uh, from Kitz's, K-I-T-C-E-S.com. And they did a little study on this, like, hey, why add international in the first place? Why even bother? People have a bias to their home country when it comes to investing. People, U.S. citizens like U.S. stocks. Uh, people that live in China like Chinese stocks. And you get the picture. Um, people have. I think this it's affinity. almost like a comfort zone too, right? right? I, I used to have relatives that only buy American cars, and then the waters got really muddied. What's an American car? It's Toyota. I think so. They're made in in America, right? Uh, so that that gets kind of difficult. It does. Yeah. I don't know. I drive an Audi. Is that German? <laughs> is that American? Who knows? Right. I, I I buy the car I want to buy, <laughs> regardless. Is is that how we should approach our investments too? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a it's not necessarily say it's a bad thing, but this is where you get one of the tenets of investing that there is one free lunch in investing, and that is diversifying. That is free. You can diversify. You can choose between different companies or different allocations, whether it be by country or by sector or by company name. And the more you diversify, the less risk you're taking in the portfolio. Now, it is a double-edged sword. Many people have gotten extremely wealthy by owning one company, but that – that is a sharp sword, so it so can cut the other way. one egg in the basket yes. as opposed to what we always hear, right? Don't right. put so all you, of your eggs in one basket. Correct. So having international stocks in the portfolio helps reduce risk. And this is the – I'm kind of cherry-picking the main points of this article because I've got to be very honest with you. It's pretty dry stuff. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure who wants to read through this. But um, the, the main tenets are – and I'll just kind of quote this, if you, if you will – is that while global diversification may not necessarily provide protection from the initial crash, because what happens is U.S. stocks and international stocks typically crash together. So there is a correlation there. Uh, but it's on the other way out. In other words, it does create potential for significantly faster recovery recoveries in your portfolio because sometimes international stocks can outpace U.S. stocks on the upside. And if you're not participating in the upside by having international stocks, you miss out. And then people go chasing, right? They're like, oh, the international stocks are doing better than my U.S. stocks. I'm going to get them now. It's too late. Almost like trying to time the market. Right. So it goes against that 10. You're basically buying at the high now when everyone else was already in there, which is why, and this is what the main point of the article is, is have some international stock and keep it there. So that when the valuations between the U.S. swing back to foreign stocks, you're there to collect the premium on that. Because right now, international stocks are heavily discounted. We've got a strong U.S. dollar that's weakening. So all of this makes for tailwinds for good international returns. Um, You know, the big concern last year was that Europe would be in an energy crisis with the Ukrainian conflict, and that's not happened. Um, Norway came to the rescue with with their energy uh, products. So it's not as bad as everyone thought. Well, that whole Russia-Ukraine war is not going the way most experts or pundits thought it would. Right, exactly. A lot of people, there are some people that thought that by May this year, it would be all over. Yeah. That's not true. So you just got to be there to collect the premiums. And they've got different demographics. There are over a billion people in India. 
there's over a billion people in China. I mean, oh different different situations, different companies. So you're really diversifying. And actually, you know, people think, oh, international stocks are risky. It's actually more risky not to have them. Right. Um, not, to, not to be. No, you said the pendulum swinging back. So you adjust kind of on the fly, John, right? Right. With, right. with your portfolio. If, if you want to add more, add more. But. Right. You don't want to be overdoing that, right? Overthinking right. it. Right, absolutely. You know, and, and then there's different thoughts out there as to how much international you should have in the portfolio. Is it over 30%? Is it less than 30 And the academic debates go on and on. Um, it depends. There is no one-size-fits-all answer for this. You could make many arguments that um, having more could be a good thing. But again, you're playing that yeah. dice roll, and everyone has their biases, right? They're like, no, I want more U.S. stocks. I live here and I like U.S. companies. I like the way they're managed. I say have some international. Do not dismiss it as an asset class just because it's not on your home turf. Um, because you will start chasing things when they do outperform. Because right now, um, I think, yeah, Western European stocks are second place in asset class returns. Um, so just beware that... Um, you know, there's a lot of recency bias going on because the U.S. has outperformed for 15 years. Yeah, so the average, what would you say, 4.7 um, years? 4.7 is the average swing between international and U.S. outperformance. It goes back and forth. Um, so to have this outperformance for 15 years is quite rare. Hmm. And that data I'm citing goes all the way back to 1971. So yeah. it's kind of interesting That's to see That's a good this. sample size. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, when we come back, the Wealth Management Preservation segment, it's a special feature we do every week. I don't know if both of you are chiming in on this, John. You got a little tease here you want to give again? Yeah, you know, I'm just going to be talking about um, family wealth dynamics. It's, it's more looking at the behavioral side of things. And I'm even going to try speaking some Chinese. <laughs> oh, boy. Nobody's tuning I'm out. ready for this. I cannot wait. <laughs> and I'm glad it's you that's attempting it, not me. You are from New Zealand, right, John? Right. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking um, you're going to be pretty good. Yeah, no, my, my Mandarin is terrible. It's a, uh, but I'm going to give it a shot, though. <laughs> That's coming up next. John White attempts Chinese. <laughs> On the I, love, I love the food, by the way. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't? Who doesn't? That's, it's going to be good. Stay tuned. Hey, um, we wanted to thank Aaron Kowal. He chimed in with the boss segment. Uh, Marie McFarland, John White, hosts in the retirement clinic. If you have questions, what we're doing is just sending you right to the source, right to the Kowal Investment Group. And there's two ways to answer your question or to, I guess, ask your question. TheKowalWay.com or call their office. One number for all the locations. It's 262-522-4040. This is WISN. You say you don't know, you won't know. If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars. All right, we are back. The music tells you it's time for the wealth management and preservation segment. If you had a million dollars, right? I remember, John, and I say this every week, I think, because of the song. Million dollars, that's that's huge. You're a millionaire. That's plenty for retirement. I think things have changed. Maybe it is for you. Maybe your buddy might say, I need two. I need three to live to my, you know, quality of life that I'm used mm -hmm. to. So this segment focuses on wealth management and preservation. What do you got for us, John? All right. So this segment is called Understanding Family Wealth Dynamics. Um, and yes, very much related to money. But now we're looking at something. Um, well, I'll give you a quote from an article I was reading. Most wealthy individuals have a professional advisor for investment management, tax planning, and estate planning. But they do not have anyone advising them on more complex emotional intergenerational issues and legacy planning. Hmm. In other words, 
the kind of mushier stuff as to how do we do this? Like, how do we actually go about as a family creating a wealth strategy so that the wealth passes on? And this leads to my my attempt at saying something in Chinese. So here we go. 2,000 years ago, in ancient China, the proverb was born. Fu bu guao san dai. Translation, please. That, that, means, that was good. It sounded good. Yeah. That means wealth does not pass three generations. Really? Yeah. It's like uh, an ancient Chinese proverb? Yeah. And it's 2,000 years old, and today it still rings true. It's pretty it, accurate. It's very accurate. In fact, by the second generation, 70% of the family wealth is gone from the first generation to the and, second. And at, by the time you hit generation three, it's- It's down to 90% of the wealth is gone. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Only 10% of families manage to, they call it shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve transfer. You're going from one- Sleeve to the other. Yeah. That, you know, um, and there's some people I know, you know, family and friends, I'd spend, I want to spend every last penny that I have. I earn it. It's my money. And in others, I'm passing it along to my kids. I want them to get, maybe it's the business, maybe it's your, your well. Anyway, everybody's different here too, John, right? Right. And, and so they did studies on this. What causes the wealth transfer to fail? What was happening? What, why are only 10% able to do it and the other 90% are not? Apparently 60% of it, 60 is due to a breakdown of communication and trust within the family. That's not surprising, but I guess that's say it. 25% is due to the heirs being inadequately prepared to handle the money. Oh, yeah. And 15%, one five, is to other causes such as taxes, legal issues, and just general planning around how the money is used. So they also did a study on this, and there's it's basically four quadrants of how money is communicated to people. The first one is where you have high control and a low support system for the family. So this is the most common where you have a punitive authoritarian figure in the family who's telling the children typically, this is what you get. This is where it's going to. And and they're they're not really supported. They're they're told what to do, but they're not supported after the person typically has passed. Um, The next most popular one is unfortunately in its, its second place is, there is no plan. We're just going to wing it and see what happens. Mm, that's not good. Yeah. And there's no support and there's no control over the assets. Uh, it's kind of harsh. This this uh, article calls it neglectful and irresponsible. So not my words. The article was words. Um, <laughs> the next one, uh, 22%, this is third place, is, and this is probably the 10% successful families are falling into, is they have a lot of control over the assets and they have a lot of support for the heirs. So they have advice. They're being listened to. They're also being told what to do, but they're being listened to as well. Well, and they do have a plan, right. I assume. Right. And right. there is a plan. We talk about mm-hmm. a trust often. We've had estate planning attorneys on this show over the years stressing to have an estate mm-hmm. plan. And a lot of Americans don't. Right. The final one is 14%, kind of rare, but where you have a lot of support for the heirs, but there's no one telling them what to do with the money, which you could see where that could lead. Like the children basically can do whatever they want with it, which... mean that it goes faster. Mm -hmm. Um, I love this quote that I saw too. It was by Nathan Rothschild. Everyone's probably heard of the Rothschild family. Um, uh, But basically he said, it requires a great deal of boldness and a great deal of caution to make a great fortune. And when you have gotten it, it requires 10 times as much wit to keep it. I thought that was awesome. Like that's, that's so what we true. call yeah. this segment wealth management and the keyword preservation because you can get a certain level. And John, that money, look at all these professional athletes. They're poof. They just blew millions of dollars. Right. Which I never understood. So 
Me neither. The big takeaway with talking, yeah, yeah, I mean, the big takeaway from talking to these families is starting to ask good questions. Um, they, they say the words, how might we, is the way you start the question. How mm. might we, whatever. So it's an invitation to, to have an open conversation. That's just Commu- such a gr- to communicate to with com- the family, like right. in between the family. Right. So that as an advisor sense. going into a family where you have the heirs who might not know anything about money, and then you have the people that have worked hard for and have this nest egg. So some of the examples they said is, you know, describe a turning point in your life to the person that got the money. So they're communicating to the family, this is my story, this is how we got here. Um you know, where did you grow up? What was it like? Like you're, you're having a really open, dis- like you're an investigative reporter, basically. Yeah. You're asking questions. So that's to start the conversations. And then you get to the conversations about the money. You know, what are your family's values? Uh, what are the key factors as to what charities you might want to be involved with? And and you have this open dialogue and everyone's invited. And it's, you know, th- there's this is not a time to, you know, have conflict. It's more of an open forum and and it and it can cause and it does in some families and it's tragic marie but it happens money can divide families kids can go to their parents and say, yeah i assume i'm getting an inheritance uh what about you know what? Yeah. you don't want to start it that way no that conversation like, it's kind of a touchy to, yeah yeah you're not <laughs> i entitled think that's to a it. great what john was pointing out i mean just think of that from a communication standpoint is the individuals like the part of the family that created that wealth gets to share what they experienced before they had wealth which the kids right the heirs don't understand that because they never had to live what the original called respect yeah right so and never assume you're going to i know inherit money you never know what mom and dad are going through and what they're later using life they might need it you may not get it and, and, you know, money that makes it past the third generation typically will last because the values have been built in, the communication and the support networks have been built in, and people just know what the legacy plan is. Um, so it's, it's really quite amazing to see that there, there is money that goes beyond three generations. But uh, I know, like, it hit hard when I read that Chinese proverb. I'm like, really? Only three generations? But you yeah. think of these, like, wealthy um, families in history, like the Rockefellers yeah. and all these big Wrigley's, names. Yeah. And you just assume it's going to continue forever. That's right. It's not a guarantee at all. Right. And uh, it's really hard to keep these values uh, going through the family and how to use that money. There, there is a quick framework I'll, I'll give you. Um, one of the, one of the this, this strategies around the money management was save some of the money for the heirs to use themselves and to spend and then some to invest to grow the egg for future spending goals. And the other one is to share with the community where through charitable donations, yeah. things like that, if, if that's what they want. Yeah. Um, and the, the ultimate goal, and this is very, very idealistic, but the ultimate goal was to have the family manage it all themselves Without an advisor, which I'm like, well, I'm not sure that's possible. Uh, maybe it is. Maybe that's the, the utopia out there for a family is that they're so well attuned with what's going on. Um, I, I guess can't see that happening personally because money for me is different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there always will be a need for advice on taxes, investing, and everything else. At, we learned that um, earlier in the show, right, with all mm-hmm. these changes. How else would you know? Yeah. But it's a really interesting article, and it, it really got, gets you thinking about how families communicate within their own family. All basically. right. Before we take a break, I'm going to make you repeat the ancient Chinese proverb. Oh, my gosh. Can you, can you find it, John? Yeah. Let me uh, let me just quickly flip back to it. Um, here we go. Food. And on that, we'll be right back. The Retirement Clinic, Marie McFarland, John White from the Kowal Investment Group, the retirement specialist. 
dollars. If I had a million dollars. Wrapping up today's retirement clinic, we're back next Saturday at 10 a.m. with the Kowal Investment Group, the retirement specialist, Marie McFarland. Thanks for being here on your weekend and your dedication and your knowledge. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, too. Of course, Monday through Friday, you do the updates, market reports during the Mark Belling Show. John White, you're a part of that as well. We covered a lot of ground today. If we have questions, just reach out. Just call the office, right? That's right. Call us at 262-522-4040 or go on to the website at thekowalway.com and contact us. There's uh, all kinds of info. The website has links to the social media. You're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all of the above. So thekowalway.com. Waukesha, Port Washington. See if I get this right. Racine, Heartland, soon to be Delafield in Phoenix, Arizona. I got them. Right. And then this show, of course. Have a great weekend, everybody. You too. You too, thanks. Thanks for joining us. We will be back next Saturday. I'm Paul Cronforst on the Retirement Clinic. News coming up next. Stay tuned. WISN, Milwaukee.